this week's fairy tale with former champions is Fernando Alonso, a Formula One GOAT. So, Connor, tell us about how Fernando Alonso's career began. Fernando Alonso is basically the Tiger Woods of karting. Um, he started at the age of three. He got a license to race other drivers when he was five years old. Could you imagine racing a go-kart when you were five at like 30 miles an hour? That's pretty baller. We used to race down the hallway on racer scooters. Yeah, that was not quite the same. Anyway, you know, he was not born to a well-off family, and that meant they couldn't buy rain tires even. So when he was karting in the rain, he was on slicks, and he was still finding a way to compete and, and beat guys who were much older than him. So um, gas. Pretty amazing. So... During his junior career, karting, and then even into some of his, you know, later driving, he had to work as a mechanic on other people's carts to earn money. Crazy. And that probably ended up being a huge benefit because he learned a lot of the technical aspects as to how these cars work and how to set the cars up. A weird side note, he also got a contract offer to play goalie for a La Liga team. Yeah, it's amazing that you can be like so proficient in two different areas yeah. of your life. Yeah, RC uh, Celta de Vigo, which I absolutely pronounced wrong, they Sounds offered him good. a contract. And his dad was like, absolutely not, not happening. He's going to go drive cars, so smart man. And so after that karting part of his career, um, he got pulled up into a junior motorsports career when he was 17. And after two years in the smaller circuit, he got pulled up into the big leagues. Um, at the time was GP3 and GP2, which are now your F3 and F2 championships. Yeah, so where did he start out with his F1 career? So he first got a test with Minardi in 1999, a small team based out of Italy that eventually turned into AlphaTauri. Um, he signed on as their reserve driver um, for 2000 and then stepped into a full-time role in 2001. Um, he finished 23rd that year, but was impressive enough that Flavio Briatore, um, who's a name that you'll probably hear in future episodes, who was at the time leading the Renault team, saw the potential and he wanted to bring him on to his team. So he signed there in 2003 um, and in his second race, he became the youngest driver to ever win a pole position. And then later that season, he became the youngest driver to ever win a race. Wow. This was not beaten until I believe Fernando, or not Fernando, um, Sebastian Vettel. Wow. Yeah. And now I think it's held by Max Verstappen. Yeah. His first race for Red Bull. Of course. Actually, that season he finished sixth in the points. Uh, that would have been 2003. 2004, he finished fourth. Um, and then he followed that up with a first, winning his first championship in 2005. And again in 2006, defending it to not only beat Schumacher's streak, but show that he was now the top dog in Formula One. So after the back to back wins with Renault, he then leaves and goes to McLaren. Why? Why would you? You're winning championships. Why do you? Why do you leave? What's even crazier is he actually signed that contract with McLaren in December of 2015. So he 2015? competed. December 2000, of 2005. December of 2005. So he was preparing for the 2006 season, trying to defend a championship, and the team knew that he was leaving. Why? What? 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 So you have to go the entire year driving for a team, knowing that at the end of the year, you're not even going to be there. Yeah. And he won and the he championship. And he still won the championship. Yeah. But it ended up, you know, being a smart move. Renault, after 2006, they were still a good team. They got a handful of wins, but they were never competitive for the championship. So he must have known something was going on inside and looked at his exit. And he went to a team in McLaren that had been close throughout the early 2000s, but never had quite been able to get through for that championship. Got it. So tell me about his time uh, at McLaren. 
he signs on for McLaren and is not able to test their car for the first time until the last day of testing because he had a contract with Renault until the end of 2006. So he starts off a little bit on the back foot. Looks like Nolan needs a little refill here from the can. Fuel, 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 premium, 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 fuel, fuel, fuel. Gas. And for those of you listening, I have the world's largest thermos filled with water. It's hilarious. It's literally the ocean. It's huge. So, 2007. Like Fernando's dog. <laughs> 2007, signs on with McLaren. Doesn't get to start testing because he's still trying to get out of that contract with Renault. Yes. Crazy. Quick back step. 2007, if you don't know anything about it, is the greatest Formula One season of all time. Better than this year? So far, so yes, it is better than this year. It had the closest on-track battle between championship contenders ever. Wow. Three guys finished within one point of winning the championship. Competition between two teams, Ferrari and McLaren. And McLaren was embroiled in an espionage case off the track to add even further fuel to the drama. Hamilton and Alonso are fighting with each other the whole season on the track and off the track. So Hamilton was Alonso's second driver. Yeah, so McLaren signed Lewis on to be the number two to Alonso that year. And was that his first year in Formula One? It was. It was his rookie season. Wow. So Fernando Alonso, which we hadn't talked about up to this point, didn't really do a great job of endearing himself to people throughout most of his career up to this point. But he was so good, you kind of just dealt with it. And unfortunately, this continued at... McLaren. He signed on at McLaren and Ron Dennis, who was the team principal at the time, apparently promised him preferential treatment over Hamilton. Mm -hmm. And in the early races of the season, Alonso started strong, but then he started to fall behind Lewis. He had a couple of mediocre races, the third race at Bahrain, the seventh race at Canada, and the ninth race at France. And during that time, Lewis was finishing third or second, and then eventually got his first win at Canada when Alonso didn't do so hot. So Alonso now is upset. He's like, I should be getting the preferential treatment. You should be telling him to stay behind me, giving me track position. And so he's going to Ron Dennis, telling Ron, give me what I deserve. Yeah. And Ron wasn't having it. Um, he did nothing to hold Hamilton back. And in fact, many of his actions could have even been viewed as preferential treatment towards Hamilton. So how did this end up with... You know, we're nine races in at this point. Where are they standing in terms of, like, who is where? So, after nine races out of 17 that season, Lewis is winning by 15 points, which may not sound like a lot, but back then, a win was only worth 10, or it's now worth 25, and only the top eight drivers scored points. So, that's a huge gap. After race nine, Alonso goes on to have a great next two races, and he gets back within two points. And then we get to the real drama of the season as i had mentioned mclaren got embroiled with a bit of an espionage controversy on the 4th of july right around the time of the u.s grand prix an investigation was launched against mclaren um, they were charged because a senior engineer at their team and his wife were apparently conspiring with a former ferrari mechanic who was upset with the team to steal technical information um. from marinello this race weekend starts on August 5th, and we're at Hungary. And before the race even begins, things go off the rails. 
Alonzo threatens to blackmail Ron Dennis, saying that he's going to email information proving that McLaren was cheating and stealing stuff from Ferrari. Now, they had already been cleared on that first investigation and proven that nothing had been done wrong because they couldn't find evidence. What he wanted back from Ron Dennis was preferential treatment, including, in this race, Hamilton intentionally running out of gas to give him a 10-point lead over Hamilton for the rest of the season. Ron Dennis is so pissed off, but also so scared. He goes to Max Mosley, the president of the FIA, and he says, hey, Alonzo's going to send you an email. There's nothing in these emails you have nothing to worry about to try to get ahead of it so that they didn't reopen the investigation. Because Ron knew, as much as he claims to this day that he didn't know anything about it, he knew there was evidence. He knew what was going on. Qualifying starts, and based on that earlier agreement, Alonso is supposed to go out first during third qualifying. The way that the complicated qualifying system worked back in 2006, it was better to go out first. Hamilton squeezes out in front of Alonso and refuses to let Alonso pass. They're running around. Lewis is getting faster times than Alonso. So Alonso slows down so much, he gets to the point where he's, Lewis has basically lapped him. And he, he goes into the pits to get tires. Lewis follows him in. He gets the tires put on the car. They put the car down on the ground. And he sits there and he waits for like 15 seconds wow. before driving off. This then causes Lewis to miss the flag at the end of qualifying. Doesn't get in his final run. Alonso goes out there on his final run. Puts the car on pole position. Wow. And then both of them get called into the stewards for an investigation. Wow. So in the end, what happens is Alonzo gets five-place grid penalty, starts six, is only able to recover to fourth place, and Hamilton, who started the race on pole, wins the race. Wow. So right there, you're talking a four- or five-point difference for Alonzo that proved to be critical at the end of the season when he only lost by one point. Right. As a result of all of this stuff that happened during the weekend, McLaren gets investigated a second time, and they're found guilty of espionage. Disqualified from the Constructors' Championship, the drivers are allowed to stay in as the Drivers' Championship, and they were fined $100 million. So it was decided during the season that they were out of the Constructors' Championship. In September, with like three or four races left to go in the year. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. That was kind of the key kicking off point of the final straw between McLaren and Alonso's relationship. So the second half of the year, Ferrari sees an uptick in form. McLaren continues to battle in between each other, which allowed Kimi Raikkonen to recover from a 20-point deficit. Wow. How, how do you possibly pull off a recovery from down 20 points with, what, nine races to go? I think McLaren just got so enveloped in the drama between the drivers and the espionage claims that their eye just went off the ball. And, you know, they, they didn't even do terribly They should have gone into the final race with a huge lead. Hamilton could have won in the second-to-last race, but he wore out his tires and spun off into the gravel. Wow. And when he was in a position to clinch the championship in that race, and the week before that, there was a huge monsoon in Japan, and Alonso crashed out of the race. Wow. That's crazy. So tell us about the final race and how it all shook out. Final race, Hamilton's got a four-point lead over Alonso and a seven-point lead over Kimi Raikkonen. Kimi, going into this race, seems like he really doesn't have a chance to win. It's Hamilton's to lose, but if Alonso can find a way to beat him by two places, 
he could win the whole thing. The Ferraris blitz the field in qualifying. Alonso starts behind Lewis in fourth place. Lewis then has a gearbox issue like right at the beginning of the race, falls to seventh, finishes, but just can't get any pace out of the car, which was their only mechanical issue major of the entire season. Alonso just cannot recover past third place. He finishes there in third. Kimi wins by one spot over Lewis and Alonso, who finished tied for second place. Again, if not for that grid penalty in Hungary, Alonso probably wins his third straight championship. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty crazy here to, you know, we all talk about the Iceman and how he's like a world champion, but hearing this, it's like, well, crap, like he almost wasn't. Like he had a lot of things go his way. He had a lot of luck. So pretty He did win the last three races of the season. Wow. Yeah, and I, I think that definitely, probably in the off season, since the Iceman's retiring, we'll have to do another one of these deep dives and talk about him a little bit as well. Sure. So, all right. So after the two thousand season seven, after the two thousand seven season, what happens? Yeah, you know he got a reputation like Terrell Owens, great yeah. driver, incredibly difficult to work with. I mean, he wasn't doing crunches on his driveway with his shirt off like a psychopath. Yeah. So he leaves McLaren. Yeah, he negotiated a contract buyout and immediately wanted to go to Ferrari. Wow. And he spoke with the president of the Ferrari company who agreed to sign him on. But then the president of the Ferrari race team said, no, no, no. I've got Kimi and Felipe Massa under contract for the next two seasons until 2010. He cut it off and said, no, that's not happening. And Alonso then signs a one-year contract with Renault, but he also had offers from Red Bull and Toyota. So he had options for 09. So he turned down Red Bull and he turned down Toyota? Yeah, he wanted that Ferrari seat. And he knew that if he signed a longer-term deal, he couldn't get into that Ferrari seat. So he wanted to do one-year contract. Red Bull had offered him a two-year contract, which had he taken it, maybe he would have been four-time in a row world champion instead of Sebastian Vettel. Um, was Red Bull any good in the 2008 season? Were they showing any sort of promise or did it make a lot of sense that he was like, well, Red Bull offered me this contract. They're promising a lot, but they haven't actually delivered on it. Yeah, they were a mediocre team. I mean, they'd be like where Racing Point or Aston Martin is now. It was not exactly looking up for them. And then they made a brilliant move. They signed uh, Adrian Newey, one of the greatest car designers of all time. And he was there when they were negotiating this contract with Alonzo and saying, look, we've got Newey. Yeah. And Newey has designed championship winning cars for all the Red Bulls for the last however many years. He designed the championship winning cars for McLaren. He designed the championship winning cars for Williams in the 90s. Wow. So, so he's, he's been around a long time. Long time. And, and is he still in Formula One now? He still designs the cars for Red Bull. You'll wow. see him on the track every once in a while. That's pretty amazing. So doesn't go to Red Bull, doesn't go to Toyota. Where does he end up? He ends up at, back at Renault, which wow. was crazy because he burned bridges there. But Briatore is a guy that didn't, you know, let his ego go. And he said, let me get the best driver on the grid back on my team. Yeah. Didn't work sense. out for them, though. They sucked. Yeah. So after they have the year where they suck, what happens next? So he then re-signs there for another year, still waiting for that Ferrari seat. So he did two years at Renault? Two years at Renault, and he got one win in a very, very controversial manner. So why was it so controversial? He was leading the race, but needed to stop for tires. Flavio Briatore got on the phone and told the second driver on the team, who I believe was uh, PK Jr., 
to crash the car so that they would get a safety car, allowing Alonzo to get new tires and not end up falling back in the grid. What? Yeah. Bria Torre is now banned for life from Formula One. Because of that incident? Because of that incident. Wow. That's insane. And One he- of the greatest team principals of all time out of sport. So was he banned because it's like dangerous to have your driver crash? I, obviously the danger, but more just it's unsportsmanlike. Imagine the precedent that would set if you could be leading a race and you need a safety car to win and you tell your driver that's down in ninth place to crash. Yeah. Well, Charles Leclerc did that. We all know that that was on purpose. <laughs> so. Anyway, so the, the end of that season comes up. Obviously, his team principal gets the boot, and that was a lot of the reason why he was there. He was trying to get in that Ferrari seat, but does he ever get the Ferrari seat? So he finally gets the Ferrari seat in 2010. It almost worked for him, right? He gets the ride with Ferrari, and the cars weren't great, but he was so good that he was able to turn the cars into something that he was able to win races with. He almost won in 2010 and 2012. He lost by four and three points, respectively, both of those championships. And that's with the updated point system that we use now, where it's 25 for a win. Wow. So for context, and to to show how bad his teammates were, what was the difference, or where did his teammates finish in terms of the standings in 2010-2012? So 2010 and 12, where he finished second, it was sixth place in 2010 and 7th place in 2012. And the points totals from that driver, which was Felipe Massa, was half of his total. Jesus. And Felipe Massa lost the championship by one point in 2008. Uh, so he was no slouch as a driver. Yeah. Well, talk about star in a shitty car then. But how realistic was it that he was going to win? Like, did he have a lot of luck similar to what Kimi had in 2007? Or a lot of bad luck, similar to Felipe Massa in 2008? Or is it just more of a factor of like, yeah, it was just as close as he was going to get? It was heartbreaking losses for him. 2010, he led the entire season. And in the last race of the year, he got stuck behind Vitaly Petrov at the final race in Abu Dhabi, a track that hopefully they have fixed for the last race of this season. We'll find out in a few weeks. And he just can't pass him. He gets stuck in seventh place. Wow. Petrov at the time was driving for Renault. He scored 27 points the entire season. Alonso had 252. Wow. And then in 2012, he got taken out in Spa, which was the 13th race of the season, on the first lap, and then it happened again in Japan two weeks later, and he lost by three points. Jesus. All he had to do was finish in eighth place in both of those races in a year that he won multiple races. Yeah. But what's even crazier about 2012 is he's still leading the championship after Vettel got spun on the first lap. So now you're thinking, holy shit, he's finally going to get his breakthrough here, right? Here's how close it was to him winning the championship. Vettel gets into a crash early on in the race, about lap 17 or so. He's got damage to the side pot of the car, and it crimped the exhaust pipe. Wow. As they are driving past the main straight, Adrian Newey sees that there is damage to this exhaust pipe and that it's heating up and getting so hot that if they don't do something about it, it's going to light the car on fire and he's out of the race and that's it. Wow. He instructs the team to change the engine mapping to have less power in the engine but cool the exhaust pipes and that's what prevents the car from lighting on fire. He's got just enough power to get up to sixth place and he wins the championship by three points. What place was he in when they noticed his uh, exhaust? 22nd place. So on a not full power engine, Seb Vettel recovers from 22nd to 6th 
and wins the championship by how many points was it? Four? Three points. Three points. Insane. Uh, obviously, another person that we're going to have to do a deep dive on. Hopefully, we get him next season. Hopefully, we can have him win next season and then have some motivation to do it or, or get him in a, a great position. But uh, that's a fucking incredible story. And that was his third one in a row. Yeah. Pretty insane. So what what's next for Alonso? How many years did he end up at Ferrari for? And then and where did he end up after that? Yeah, so he had two more unsuccessful years with Ferrari. Red Bull trounced the competition the next year in, in 2013. And then 2014, with the regulation changes, Ferrari didn't come out with a good car in the first year. The two sides get fed up with each other, and they mutually agree that he's going to leave. And he ends up going tail between his legs back to McLaren. How? I mean, he burned every single bridge, threatened to blackmail them. How did he end up back in McLaren? Well, finally, Ron Dennis was gone. And they had just lost Lewis Hamilton to Mercedes two years ago, and they were in desperate need of a number one driver. They had signed Perez the year before, hoping he'd be the young gun that would come in like Hamilton did a few years ago. And it just didn't work out. So... They uh, brought Alonso back in, and then McLaren did horribly for the next five years. Um, Alonso didn't, though. He made his teammates his bitch, as he always does. <laughs> yeah. Um, for example, 2017, he had seven DNFs because of the Honda engine blowing up. He then skips Monaco because they had no chance, and then he scored 56% of McLaren's points that season, wow. even with all of that. Insane. So do you want to get into that Honda engine or do we want to leave that for another day? Leave that one for another day. All right. So he skips Monaco. How did they not just kick him off the team? He instead competed at Indy and Indianapolis, the Indy 500. McLaren was the main sponsor for that program. Wow. So they were kind of looking for a way into doing IndyCar. They now have a full-time IndyCar team. So it was a little bit of an exploration. Go in there with a driver we think might be able to win it. And in fact, he led 30 laps. Wow. And he would probably have won the race if his Honda engine didn't blow up. Wow. Were they using the same engine for F1 as they were in that IndyCar? Different engine, but Honda was having problems that year with their IndyCar engines as well. So just a bad year for Honda racing engines. Yeah, that's, uh, geez, a a terrible look. So end of the season, in 2017, he retired. Yeah, he then decided to look to other series, right? He went and raced at um, Le Mans, for Toyota, he got two Le Mans 24-hour championships, which wow. is one of the you know big three races: Monaco, Indy 500, and Le Mans. If you win those three, they say you win the triple crown. Wow! And then he went to uh, America and did the Daytona 24, which is seen as like the number four in the you know motorsports sphere. Exactly, uh, and he was able to win there in 2019. Also, wow! So he got so, some success in other places. So then, why did he end up back at F1 if he was just out here like putting his balls on the table everywhere? I think he still believes that he has what it takes to win a championship. And he saw an opportunity with the new regulations that he could get into a team that may have the resources to go out there and put a car together that can win. So ends up back at Renault, the renamed to Alpine. This is his third time with the Renault team, if I'm not mistaken. Do do we think that Renault and... Fernando Alonso can pull it off next year. They've got a new engine coming in like we've talked about. They have a budget that's close, if not equivalent, to McLaren and Ferrari, which we view as teams that should be able to win championships. And they've done it in the past. 
They were winning races as recently as 2013. Wow. So the other element to it is his teammate in perpetuity is Esteban Ocon. <laughs> so is Ocon a good enough teammate to help a teammate to win a championship, or does that not even matter? Here's the good news for him about Ocon. He's not Lewis Hamilton. He won't challenge him for the win, and he will be that second driver. Now, what you brought up is very important because we saw this week his defense skills, maybe they could use a little bit of work. Yeah. I mean, in the past, obviously, he's just like dicked down his teammates, crushed it, hasn't really mattered, and he's been able to win championships. Like you said, he was crushing Felipe Massa coming in second place. So hopefully the Esteban Ocon element doesn't come into play, and we can see one of the goats of Formula 1 return to form and 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 compete because to me and then i don't know what your opinion on this is but i think all cars being equal top five driver easily top five driver now and probably one of the top five of all time he's that good yeah and i think that eventually we're going to do a hypotheticals on how many championships each of the guys who have won could have potentially won and then we talked about it a lot there was Five years in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, two he won, three that he easily could have made it happen. So, and if he would have stayed with his other teams, you know, there's a chance he has as many as Hamilton or Schumacher. Or if he signed with Red Bull in 2008. Yeah. Maybe he wins those four and then he's got six. Yeah. 